Please be seated. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. It is such a privilege to be here, and I mean that with all my heart. I say that I've, I've preached in this church more than any other church except, obviously, the church I pastor. I pastor Loomis Park Baptist Church in Jackson, Michigan now for almost 12 years, and I was just talking to Mrs. Neal about that. I said it's just so hard to believe that the time, uh, how quickly the time moves, and, and uh, uh, when, when I first came here 15 years ago, uh, Daniel did such a wonderful job on that song. I said, Daniel was just a little boy. He was just a little boy, amen, and uh, now he's a fine young man and so many others uh, that have uh, grown up here and, and uh, such a blessing. I love your pastor. I'm telling you, I don't just say that. I really do. I love him, and uh, he's so kind and generous. And every, every good aspect of my pastoral ministry that has to do with kindness and generosity, uh, I learned from him. And all the mistakes, that's all me. Amen. And uh, uh, I made plenty of those, but really just, just uh, was always blessed to, to be here. And again, to see so many, many familiar faces and uh, then also to see new faces. It's wonderful to come to a church and see new faces, see people, oh, I don't know this person. That's, that's wonderful. Our church is the same way. Uh, we're so blessed. Pastor mentioned um, uh, our church is 125 years old. And uh, by the way, some, church, some churches pastor at that age, they've outlived their shelf life, amen? They're, they're just as dead as last year's bird's nest, amen? And uh, our church is not that way. Our church has life and uh, vim and vigor. We baptized last week, and uh, I know you did this week, and uh, just such a blessing. Our precious people, we have so many wonderful members, and we have four members in our church. Four, two of them are very active. Two of them are in uh, a care facility right now, but four members members with over 70 consecutive years of membership. 70, seven zero. And uh, it's just incredible. They all, they all joined with their families when they were children and just never left. And uh, it really is incredible when you think about it. And I told them last week, the two that are, there are two that are there for every service. I said, we need to go over to that care facility where these other two are and get a picture of these four together because it's just so special. You know, I, I hope you'll come back tonight. Number one, you ought to come back because your church is meeting tonight. You know, if you don't say amen when I bend my ear, they'll look like mud flaps on a tractor trailer truck when I get done with the service here. So you ought to meet because your church is meeting tonight. But I've got, I've got a message that'll help you. And I told your pastor, Brother McGee, I'm going to preach behind his back. Amen. And I won't sow any discord. I promise that. Amen. But uh, I know how it is, listen, when, when you as a pastor and you have another pastor come in and they, they can help the church to help your pastor. Amen. And uh, I hope to be able to try to do that tonight and uh, be a blessing. Uh, so today, the title of my message today is Now and Then. Now and Then. And so you, you have your Bibles. We're going to be back there in a little bit. In 1945, one million Soviet troops poured into Romania on their way to Berlin to meet the Americans in Berlin and crush the Nazis. However, as those of us who are students of history know, that the Russians didn't just pass through <laughs> like we did. 
we passed through and then left. The Soviets left people there in those countries, and they became known as the Eastern Bloc countries. These free countries became communist countries. And in Romania, on February 29, 1948, the Romanian communist secret police kidnapped a man, a bold evangelistic Lutheran pastor, and his name was Richard Wormbrand. Two years later, Pastor Wormbrand's wife, Sabina, was arrested. And from 1950 to 1953, Sabina was a prisoner of the communists. Pastor Wormbrand would be incarcerated, beaten, and tortured by the Romanian communists for 14 years. I don't want to get political, but I want to tell you that's what atheistic communism does to believers. That's exactly what they do. You, you, can, you can look up all the history you want. That's exactly what they do to people just like you and I. That's why you can't tolerate it. You can't put it. You can't, can't let it get a foothold, period. But Pastor Wormbrand, for 14 years, on his way to church on a Sunday night in February of 1948, and for 14 years he was a prisoner. Three of those years, 36 months, over a thousand days were spent in a cell 30 feet below ground, never seeing sun, moon, stars, snow, rain, flowers, never seeing another human being except for his guards and interrogators who beat and tortured him repeatedly. By the way, he has a book about those years, Brother McGee, called Sermons in Solitary Confinement. And I don't recommend all the theology. There, there's some things that he definitely didn't have right. But somebody, he said, I preach these sermons to God and the angels in that dark cell. It's incredible. Pastor Wormbrand was released, rearrested, and re-released in an amnesty agreement in 1964. That's 16 years, ladies and gentlemen. In 1965, Pastor Wormbrand his wife Sabina, and their son Mihai, who was just a little one when he was taken, his dad was taken, were ransomed from Romania, made their way to Norway, and then to Great Britain. Later, they moved to the United States, and in 1967, he began what is now known as the Voice of the Martyrs, missionary work and sending relief to the persecuted churches in hostile countries. He authored over 20 books in his life, the most famous being Tortured for Christ. Another is called My Answer to Moscow's Atheists. And it was published in 1975, right smack dab in the middle of what we know as of the Cold War between atheistic communists of the Soviet Union and the beacon of religious freedom, the United States and their philosophies, governments, weapons, and occasionally their militaries in some territories and flashpoints around the globe. In that book, My Answer to Moscow's Atheists, Pastor Wormbrand lays out an extremely unique introduction and an extremely strange 
conclusion. We'll return to both of those in just a moment. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Just by way of introduction, this is what is commonly known as the hymn of love. Brother McGee, if you've done a wedding or two, I have, amen. Uh, Many times this is what we read at the wedding. And that word charity is that that beautiful word agape love, self-sacrificing love. So I want you to notice, uh, first of all, by way of introduction, the motive of charity is important. The motive of charity is important. In verse 1, we have spiritual communication. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. That'd be pretty impressive, amen? I've heard preachers through the years that I listened to them and I thought to myself, not not in a man-worship way or anything like that, I just thought, especially as a young preacher, I said, boy, I wish I could preach like that. You hear some, I remember we had a man in, in Bible college named Brother Jim Dennis. He was an early graduate of Midwestern Baptist College around 1964, and I was a freshman, and he came and he preached on the crucifixion. You'd think Bible college students knew about the crucifixion. When we got done, Pastor, I felt like I didn't know anything about the crucifixion. He just preached, and I just sat there in stunned silence and said, wouldn't it be something to be able to preach like that? Wow. Every time I hear uh, recordings of W.A. Criswell or R.G. Lee, these old great preachers of the faith, and I think, oh, I wish I could preach like that. Spiritual communication. Then in verse 2, there's spiritual comprehension. It says, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand how many mysteries? All. And have how much knowledge? All. And though I have how much faith? That's a lot of whatever, amen? That's some spiritual comprehension right there. And by the way, Paul had it. He had it. Filled with the Spirit. You have 14 books of your Bible there. You have 14 books of your New Testament if you count Hebrews. Some do, some don't. But either way, half of the New Testament is in spiritual comprehension. He says, I have spiritual comprehension. There's spiritual communication. Hey, the ultimate in spiritual compassion is in verse 3. And though I bestow, how many of my goods? All. Not just a little here and there. Not, not just the crumbs which fall from the rich man's table. All of it. I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned. Brother Paul, you can't do any more than that. I gave all I had and then I gave me. So there's... Spiritual communication, there's spiritual comprehension, there's spiritual compassion. But you know what? The motive of charity is important. Because look what it says at each one of those verses. Verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not what, church? Charity. I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Just a, a horn blowing in the wind and a little, little high cymbal. Just ting, ting, all done. That's it. No charity. Then he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not what, church? What's he say? I am nothing. Nothing. And then does what he can do. He says, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it is profiteth me nothing. 
You know, when I, one day we're all going to stand before the Lord. And as Christians, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our life. And I sure would like to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I haven't been faithful in everything. I know that. And by the way, don't look at me like a bunch of visitors from heaven this morning, neither of you. Amen? <laughs> As I say often in our church, the only thing holding up your halo is your horns. Amen? Hallelujah. No, we, we've not all been faithful in, in all that we could be, but Lord willing, we've been faithful in a few things. I'd like to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'd like to be rewarded for my service. This says, if love for Christ is not your motivation, there is no reward. You'll be saved, yes, by the skin of your teeth. That's not, that's not something I would like, amen? So you know what I ought to do? I ought to make sure that my motives are right. The motive of charity is important. Secondly, just by way of introduction, the motive of charity is important. The manifestation of charity is irrefutable. What does it mean, that manifestation? It means for all to see. It's manifested. It manifests itself. If you have true God love in you, you, you you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and, and you are the, the love of God is being shed abroad in your hearts, it, forgive me, it'll break out on the outside in the way you live your life. Look what it says here. These verses are just so majestic. Every time I do marriage counseling with a couple, we go through these verses. The first thing we see is that charity, true love, suffers and sympathizes. It says, charity suffereth long. You flip that word around, you get a great Old Testament word, long-suffering. Long-suffering. And it says, and is kind. Have you just met some Christian people? Brother McGee, I wish I was more this way. I'm more of a curmudgeon. I should have been in the grumpy old man cabin at this retreat, amen? I can be just as grumpy as could be. But you ever met those Christians? I mean, they are just so kind. We had a lady in our church. She passed away several years ago. And, and she was the lady during prayer meeting pastor that would raise her hand and say, would you please pray for my neighbor's kitten? It's got an infection in its eye, and the poor little thing. And she really meant it. Like, you know, I'm sitting up there going, oh boy, okay, you know, you know, there are more important things in the world, you know. But she was just kind. It was just pretty obvious that the love of God was all over her. So, charity, by the way, you don't have to pray for kittens with eye infections to have the love of God in your life. Just figure I'd clear that up, but... Suffers and sympathizes. You know what? True love or, or the manifestation of charity is irrefutable. Uh, it suffers and sympathizes. According to verse 4, it's content and calm. Look what it says there. It says, charity suffereth long as kind. Charity envieth not. Why do we envy? Because we are discontented with our lot. You know what true love will do to you? It'll just make you content. I'm just content with the Lord's blessing in my life. I don't need so-and-so's blessing. You know, so-and-so's blessing, by the way, many times comes with so-and-so's burdens. We used to joke about that, about big church, little church, pastor, you know. Uh, you know the church about 3,000 versus the church of 300? 
Ten times the burdens. <laughs> ten times the troubles. Ten times the meetings you got to have. Amen. Oh, it's content and calm. It says there, charity vaunteth not itself. It's just nice and calm. That's charity. Suffers and sympathizes. It's content and calm. Verse 4 and 5 there. It says, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. That's a great old Bible word. Obviously, we, you know about prefixes and suffixes. If you just Many times you just take the prefix off, you have the opposite of the word. So the opposite of unseemly is seemly or proper. By the way, we need more of that in God's house. Just doing things decently and in order, properly. So it's seemly, but then look what it says. It's, it's not only doth not behave itself unseemly, verse 5, seeketh not her own. So it's, it's uh, this idea of the manifestation of love. It suffers and sympathizes, it's content and calm. It's seemly and selfless. Selfless is the opposite of selfish or self-seeking. True love is selfless. We've all known people like that in our life. I think most people, when you come to mom's funeral, they'll say, you know what, mom was selfless. Moms are that way. I think of the, the story years ago, I heard Jerry Clower tell about his mom, the comedian Jerry Clower, and uh, he just talked about how anytime they had chicken, mom ate the backs. And she, you know, she used to say, oh no, I just love the backs. Nobody loves the back of a chicken. There's nothing there. You know what? She was being selfless. She wanted everybody else to have the drumstick and the breast and all that, and she would nibble on the backs. True love is that way. It's seemly and selfless. It's patient and pure, according to verse 5. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. It's not easily provoked. It's patient. Well, I'll tell you what. There's one thing... Brother Craig, I feel like I, I need to work on all the time. It's patience. Patience. I'm like you. I want patience, and I want it right now. Amen? <laughs> you, know, you know the two places I need patience the most? On the highway and in the drive-thru. We get up there after 25 minutes, I look at my wife, say, they call this fast food? All righty then. Amen? <laughs> no. Patient and pure. Rejoicing and right. Verse 6. You know what? True love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Rejoicing and right. True love manifesting itself. You go on there. Verse 7. Beareth all things, believeth all things. It's bearing and believing. And then it says... In verse 7, hopeth all things, endureth all things. It's expectant and enduring. It's the manifestation of true Christian love in our life. It's irrefutable. You, you know it when it's there. You know, by the way, you know it in a church when it's there. And you know it when it's not there. So the motive of charity is important. The manifestation of charity is irrefutable. The magnificence of charity is indisputable. It's indisputable. Verses 8 through 13. Verse 8, charity never faileth. You know, there's been a, a slogan that's been hijacked. 
by quote-unquote progressive Christianity. More progressive than Christian, for sure. And it's love wins. You know, love wins. Can I tell you this? According to God's word, true Christian love does win. Love prevails. It says, charity never faileth. And when God writes never, he means never. Charity never faileth. Love prevails. Love progresses, according to verses 9 through 11. It's kind of highlighted there in verse 11. says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Hey, true love, by the way, is a verb. It's a decision that you make. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my husband. My wife and I celebrated 25 years this year. And listen, there's been some dry times in those 25 years. There's been times where the spark wasn't there like it was on the honeymoon, but we made a decision a long time ago to love one another. I hope to do that to my dying day. You know what? Love progresses. Uh, The love a child has Thank God, it should grow. It should get to be more. And he uses that illustration. Hey, when I was a child, I was, I was like a child. Now I'm a man, I put away childish things. My love should be growing. Especially in our Christian life. Our Christian love should be growing. Progresses. Love prevails, it progresses. Love perfects, according to verse 12. Now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. We're going to come back to that. And then love is preeminent, according to verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. I joked before, if I had triplet girls, I'd name them faith, hope, and charity. Amen? I wonder how many Christian people have done that through the years. Amen? Faith, hope, and charity. But then you're in trouble Because the next part of the verse says, and you can see the little girl standing there like this, but the greatest of these is charity. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) You know what? Love is preeminent. It's preeminent. Love in your life, the love for God, the love of God is greater than all. The love of God is greater far than pen or tongue could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Listen, the love of God in our lives, it ought to be preeminent. We are who we are because of God's love. That's why he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Coming back to Pastor Wormbrand, in that long introduction I gave there. I said, what was that all about? In that book, My Answer to Moscow's Atheist, in the introduction, he discusses from a, per, from a purely worldly perspective the reasonableness of atheism. 
Just purely, now imagine, we think about that, we say, oh, goodness, no. You, you, know, you look at the trees, you look at the stars, you look at the sky, you see God all over it. Well, just remember, in atheistic Russia, the Bible was banned. Now, thank God there were still underground churches, but by and large, most of society had no understanding and idea of God like you and I do. And so in that book, his answer to Moscow's atheists, he, he talks about some things. If you look at verse 12, the title of my message today is Now and Then. It says, for now we see through a glass darkly. We refer sometimes to the sweet by and by, but then we also talk about the nasty now and now, right? And so now... He, he talks about it in this book, and he, he says, now there's unfair treatment. You know what? Even, even in a system in America where we have courts and, and, and fairness and all that, there's still some unfair treatment. And it's, by the way, you go to another country and it's multiplied even worse. Unfair treatment in the now that we live in. There's unfair treatment. I think we can all think, listen, you, 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 I think one of the reasons why kids love sports is listen, it doesn't matter who you are, how big you are, how tall you are, what the color of your skin is, that if you can hit the ball, that's fair. And if you can throw it by me, then that's fair. There's unfair treatment in the world. There's not only unfair treatment, there are unjust outcomes. Unjust outcomes. I, I go back and I think I mentioned in the morning, the, the 815, but I mentioned... Uh, the, the, the Kelo case in Connecticut, famous Supreme Court case in New London, Connecticut, where a woman had a house and a private company, Pfizer, wanted to come and take eminent domain of her house and remove her house so they could put up a, a big plaza there, and she didn't want to move. And you know, she lost that case five to four. And then Pfizer never built anything there. They never built the plaza or anything like that. Hey, listen, that's unjust. That's just unjust. You know, you live in your home. Somebody came from my home, I'd be upset. So it's unjust. There are, there's unbelievable heartache. Unbelievable heartache in this life. I mentioned earlier this year, I attended what I hope will be the saddest funeral that I will ever attend. And as a pastor, I do lots of funerals. It's part of what we do. I've never been to a sadder funeral. I thought I had been. I went to my pastor's son's funeral who was 18 when he died, and that was sad, really sad. This one was a dear friend of ours from Bible college. Her and her husband been married 15, 16 years, and they went away for a little bit, went away for a little weekend. And their 14-year-old son was home and their 10-year-old daughter was home and their 14-year-old son shot their 10-year-old daughter. And the state police investigation was going on. It said not long after that that it wasn't an accident. I don't know how you can get any more sad than that. Unbelievable heartache. That's now. We all, we, listen, we could all tell a story of how our heart was absolutely ripped out of our chest, broken, through something that happened now, in the now. 
in this span that we call our lives. Unbelievable heart. You know what? There's unpunished evil now. Tons of it. Doesn't it drive you crazy? Just drive you crazy. Unpunished evil. Think about people that quote unquote get away with murder. And they do. Now, they do. There's untimely death. Again, we've all known somebody that was younger than us and we took a slow trip to the cemetery. Break your heart. We have a cemetery right on our road. It's about a about half a mile from our house and my kids and I will walk and the people who lived in our home and had our property before us are both buried there so we'll go try to tend the stone a little bit but almost always Brother Tex as I walk through I don't really like cemeteries very much I just don't I'm there a lot as a pastor but I'll look at the dates you see the dates on the stones and you know you see 1962 to 1968 that's only six years That little one only lived to be six years old. There's untimely death. There's unexplainable difficulties. I had a friend of mine, and he he constantly, we talk, and and he's just, uh, he said, he's lost two sons. One committed suicide, another one died. He's going through just a tough time, and and he he asks me the, the, the $64,000 question, Pastor Rich, why is this happening to me? And Brother Howard, I, I tell him, I don't know. I don't know. I know God's good. I, I know all the, all the I, forgive me, I know the yearbook answers. And I know the promises that I'm resting on. But I don't know why that's happening to him. I, I don't know why God permits it. It's in the now. It's in the now. You know, there's ungodly prosperity. It seems like the most wicked, vile people in society get ahead. And they trample on people to do it. It, drive, it drives you mad. Ungodly prosperity. You know what really there is, according to verse 12, in this now that Pastor Wormbrand was talking about the reasonableness of atheism. Again, if you don't have a God-consciousness, the unfair treatment and unjust outcomes and unbelievable heartache and unpunished evil and untimely death and unexplainable difficulty and ungodly prosperity could say there is a reasonableness for atheism. There's a fatalist about it, fatalism about it. But really it comes from unsatisfactory understanding. Verse 12. For now... We see through a glass, what church? Darkly. No matter how hard we try in the now, we're looking through that glass and and, and we just cannot see clearly. My parents had dark dinner glasses. I I think about those glasses every time I read this. And You know, Miss D, you could look through, but you couldn't see anything on the other side. You knew it was there, but it was all unclear. Now, But look at verse 12. For now, we see through a glass darkly. You know, in all these as Christians, those of us who do know the Lord. And by the way, we see all these things and the devil tries to use these things, these unfair treatment and unbelievable heartache and untimely to chip away at our faith. Listen, we need to walk by faith and not by sight. 
2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. We need to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You know, when something happens that you don't understand, remember that verse, lean not on thine own understanding. I, I've learned this. Again, I, I, I laugh and I joke and I pick on myself all the time at our church. I'm, I'm so unmechanical. My wife is a handyman woman. Hallelujah. I'm glad. Our house would be a mess if she wasn't. Amen. Now, I can lift stuff and I can hold stuff up and all that. But she, she, I, So I joke about my mechanical ability. But listen, I don't need to know how electricity works to flip a switch. I don't have to have the great understanding of it to know it works. And there are times when God does things and I don't understand it at all and I just have to know He's God. And I, I, so uh, those of us that are saved in our now, we must walk by faith. We must trust in the Lord. We must know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But can I give you the heart of the message and I won't be much longer, I promise one day now is going to turn into then. One day, where we are right now is not where we're going to be. And one day, listen, ladies and gentlemen, after Jesus arose from the dead, the Bible says he showed himself alive unto his disciples at many infallible proofs. Acts chapter 1, he, he comes and, and his disciples say, hey, are you going to set up the kingdom now? Are you going to squash Rome? Boy, that'd be a blessing, hallelujah. They've been grinding their heel into us for years now. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has put in his own hand. And he said, but... You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me in all Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the world. And then the Bible says, while they were there, he was received up in a cloud out of their sight. And literally, he, we call that the ascension. And they, they just went like this. And he went back up to heaven. And they're standing there like you and I would have been too. <laughs> Nudging each other. Did you see that? Yeah, I'm still looking. It's like when you ever see a kid lose their balloon, you know? And it, ah! I saw somebody posted the other day. They said, a kid losing their balloon to a child is the equivalent of an adult spilling coffee. I thought, that's great. Amen. I really like that. But, you know, you're watching that balloon. You're like, there it goes. Still going. And they're watching him ascend up. And two angels come and they say, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus returns, not if, when he returns, <laughs> now will be swallowed up in then. It won't be now anymore. It'll be then. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I have known. The then of those who've trusted him when he returns will be a then of number one, eternal attendance. Eternal attendance. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when he comes, when he returns, we will be with him eternally. Then. See, for the atheist, there's only now. For the Christian, there's now and then.
There is a then for the now. By the way, there is a then for the atheist too. Eternal attendance. How about this? Eternal commendation. And in the military, they give uh, awards of commendation, decorations of commendation. You know, Christians get those too. They're called rewards. They're called crowns. One day when we stand before God and he says, Lord willing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's eternal commendation. And you know what we're going to say at that point? I tell you, we're not going to say much. I think, Brother Howard, we're probably going to say, I don't deserve any of this. You did it all. You did it all. I'm, I'm just, I just tried and made a mess of things. I joke about my sermons all the time. I said, God takes this mess and makes a message out of it. Amen? Hallelujah. Eternal attendance, eternal commendation. Hey, how about this one? Eternal reunion. I love family reunions. I love reunions. This, this, this weekend felt like a family reunion for me. I told the guys as we're having devotions, I said, as a pastor, it's just different. I, at, at my church, I've been there 12 years, but I'm just never one of the boys. You know, Brother McGee, what I'm talking about. As a pastor, there has to be a little bit of distance. That's just the way it is. But here, because I was uh, an associate pastor and served with so many, I felt like one of the boys this weekend. I just felt like one of the boys. It's such a great time. But you know what? It came yesterday morning, and we had to pack up. Didn't we, Brother Mark? We had to leave. We had to load up the grill and, and waters and luggage and all that. We had to leave. The reunion came to an end. But there's coming one that will never end. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first. I always say, Pastor, I hope I'm doing a funeral when the rapture happens. Boy, that'd be a blessing. People just start popping out of tombs, amen. <laughs> I look at all the people around me say, hang on. <laughs> the, the, what's the song? Sweet hour of prayer. This robe of flesh I'll drop and rise, amen, and seize the everlasting prize. Eternal reunion. There's no more parting. We're with him eternally. Eternal attendance, eternal commendation, eternal reunion. I love this. Eternal victory. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That's the verse over our nursery at our church. We shall be changed, amen? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Oh, we're going to change. You know what? Those, those dead bodies that have been rotting all these years, they're going to be raised incorruptible. Then it says this, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I love about that? I, I hate losing. I hate losing. I hate losing anything. I really do. I play my kids in chess, I want to murder them. I want to march that king all around the board, amen? Make him just fend for his life, amen? 
We play, we play life or uh, we play uno or anything. I want to win. But you know, spiritually, we lose sometimes, don't we? We lose battles against this old flesh. We lose to discouragement. We lose to defeat. We're, and we're ashamed. We lose to sin and we're ashamed of ourselves. Like, I shouldn't still be losing that battle. You know what? When he comes and now turns into then, it's eternal victory. There's no more losses. Undefeated all the time. You know what else there is? There's eternal bliss. New heaven, new earth. There shall be no more tears, nor crying, nor sorrow, for the former things are passed away. Say, what's heaven going to be like? I don't know, but it's going to be good. Amen. So, now and then. We're not, we're not in then yet. Right? We're still in now. But we need to live our now for then. Right? So, now is the walk. Then is the welcome. So walk with God now. Walk in light as children of light. Amen? Walk in love, just like the Bible says. Walk now. But then is the welcome. Welcome home, my child. Now is the practice. Then is the presentation. Now is the exercise. Then is the entrance. And now is the hope, then is the home. Now and then. You know, the end of Pastor Wormbrand's book, you know what his answer to Moscow's atheists was? I'm selling books here today, amen? All you going on Amazon afterwards, try to look up that book, amen? By the way, sometimes it's real expensive and sometimes it's real cheap. If you look it up and you want to read it, it's a good book. But just wait if it's expensive. It'll, it'll go down. It'll come back around. His answer to Moscow's atheist pastor was the sheep. You say, what, what's so unique about that? Well, sheep are dumb. They're defenseless. And if the survival of the fittest was really true, they should have been extinct a long time ago. But you know what sheep have? Shepherds. Somebody that takes care of them. And his whole turnaround on all those unfair, unfair treatment and unequal, all that stuff, his whole turnaround was there is a God in this. The, the, yes, there was sin in this world and, and man has fallen, but there is a God who is taking care of his sheep. And we know that that's true. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then will know, even as we're known. Vance Havner is one of my favorite writers. He's just a wonderful... As a matter of fact, I gave Pastor about 10 of his books. I'd come across a big lot on eBay, and I uh, bid on it, and I got it. And I had most of them, uh, but I try to do that through the years. Just give me. He said this. You ever hear somebody say, you know, when I get to heaven, I want to ask God... Fill in the blank. And that, that, listen, they don't say it out of maliciousness or anything. Just something has happened in their life where they're just like, I, I would just really like to ask God that. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, 
And now ye therefore have sorrow, John 16, 22. But I will see you again, he says. I'm come, I'll come back. You say, how do you know he's going to come back? Because he said. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. He'd have told us if he wasn't going to come back. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So he, he said, I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice. And no man taketh you. Boy, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be when he comes. Woo! He said, and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. John 16, 23. Vance Havner said this. When he comes, all our whys will be answered. But not in a question and answer show. In that day ye shall ask me nothing, he said. All the whys, the problems and the heartaches, the sin and the sorrow and suffering, the unanswered miseries and mysteries of today have all been wrapped up and taken care of in those six awful hours on the cross. Jesus took all our whys, all our sins, and he died on the cross in the now. You know why, Brother Mark? Because there's a then. There's a then. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you. It's as simple as this. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone in this room is a sinner. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there's also a payment that has to be made for sin. The wages of sin is death. You can either pay for that sin yourself in that horrible place called hell for all eternity, and never get it paid off. Or you can accept the payment of the perfect Son of God who loved you and made that payment for you already. You say, is everybody just saved because Jesus died on the cross? No, you have to make it personal. You have to make it personal. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has made the full payment, but for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have never received Jesus as your personal Savior, we'd love to take an open Bible and show you how to be saved. Maybe you're a little discouraged in the now. And listen, I've been there. Sometimes there's too much month at the end of the money. That's discouraging. I think about we have seniors in our church and it seems like everything goes up in price except what they, the return on their uh, earnings. You know, they're, they're locked in, fixed income, and yet gas goes up and fuel oil goes up. And, and you look and you're like, how am I going to just, just remember, it's just now. It's now. It's now. You see people prospering, you get upset about it, and just... I just, I'm trying to do the right things and I can't get ahead. And Now will one day give way to then. And you know what? In the then, the burdens of now won't even be anything to talk about. They won't. They, we'll think, did I really worry about that? What's wrong? Maybe, again, you have someone that's over in the then and you're missing them. It's okay. Just know this. One day you're going to be reunited with them for all eternity. Now and then. Let's bow our heads. Father, <clears throat> thank you so much for the kind attention of these precious people. Would you work now in our invitation time? May not one grieve 
quench or resist what you're trying to do in their lives. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, please. We're right on time. It's just, just about noon here. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Maybe you're here today and you can honestly say, you know what, Pastor, I'm so glad that I have prepared for the then. That is, I have received the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm looking forward to his return. Pastor, here's my hand. I'm saved and I know it. Would you just put your hand up? Just put it up and put it right back down. I'm saved and I know it. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I've done that. God bless you. You can put them down. Maybe you, in all honesty, can say, you know what? I haven't received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But even after a message like this, I'm, I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about it. Pastor, would you pray for Listen. If you raise your hand and say, pray for me, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I'm concerned about it. I'm not going to come down there and jerk you by the collar or anything like that, but I will pray for you. So others raise their hands. You said, I'm sure I'm saved. How many just say, I'm not sure I'm saved. Here's my hand. Here's my hand. Anyone at all today? I'm just not sure. I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not sure heaven's my home. I'm not sure about the then. And I wish we could work our way to heaven, do good works, but that won't get us there. You know, we had two that were baptized today. You know, baptism doesn't send you to heaven. What does Jesus Christ? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Maybe God put his finger on an area of your life during this message. And you say, you know what, Pastor, I... I I need to do some business with God this morning. Here's my hand, Pastor. Here's my hand. Pray for me, please, as I need to do some business with God. God bless you, ma'am. Is there another? God bless you. Is there another? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands all over the room. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? We'll pray for you this morning. Father, thank you for your love, your blessing. Bless these that raised their hands. Many said they knew that they were saved. Perhaps there are some right now that you are Lord, striving with about their own soul and their salvation, Lord, please work as only you can. There is coming a then. We talked about the then today for those who have received Christ, but oh, the then for those who haven't. Oh, the fright of waking up in hell. Lord, I pray that you'd work in a special way. Bless those who see it said they need to make decisions, work in their lives, work in their hearts. Lord, may... Ripples move throughout the waters of eternity because of decisions that are made today. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. Page number 91. As Brother Howard begins to...